Hey, Tunes and Tumblers fam, it's your host, Anthony. The end of the year is quickly coming up, and we have a really great final show for the year for you. But in the meantime, we want to keep you busy. So we are bringing you a super cut of our holiday and end of the year favorites from all five seasons of your favorite show. So stick around, gobble it up, and we will see you in the last week of 2023. Cheers. The Spotify charts are going nuts with the same 10 Christmas songs I said. Mariah's on top, as she always is. Brenda Lee is coming in a close second, as she always does. We got some Wham! up there. Got some Nat King Cole. But you know, what do you like to listen to around this time? What makes a good Christmas song for you? I uh, am quite obsessed with the Sheepdogs lately. I went to go see them. They're incredible. Highly recommend. They released a Christmas song called I'm Ready for Christmas, and it's not bad. Are they ready for Christmas? I think they are very ready for Christmas. They are from Canada, so I think they're they're jazz. Hey. They're ready. What makes it a good Christmas song to you? What's their what's their vibe? I don't know. It's just a little more like rockish, you know? They got like a 70s, 80s rock vibe as a band, so like it's just kind of in that vein. And it's just a little different from stuff that I normally hear, so it's just kind of cool. Yeah, and you know, when you put all those sheepdog songs on the playlist a couple weeks ago, like I was like, oh yeah. Because 2012 Coachella, I, that, they were the first band I saw there. They oh, like, yeah. opened the festival. So good. Yeah. I went to go see them a couple weeks ago, I guess, by the time this episode comes out. And obsessed. Honestly, one of the best shows I've ever been to. So they are dope. What made it so special compared to others? I don't know. It was just like a, it was at a small venue. So like everything just kind of right there. They had a really good like stage presence. They were just really fun. Very much my type of music. Kind of just like reminded me of a lot of things, music stuff my dad listened to growing up. And I'm like, this is still my jazz, my jam. Very good show. Good company. Every time I listen to them, I'm kind of reminded of Credence a little bit. Oh, yeah. Tiny bit. Yeah, they got a, they got a lot of different vibes. I always get like Thin Lizzy, Doobie Brothers, ZZ yeah, Top even. Go. Very they got good the stuff. beards for it. Yeah, sure do. <laughs> ZZ Top is 90% beard, 10% rock. Absolutely, yes. The, one of the songs that I put on my What Have I Been Listening To is uh, one that was like, literally, I'm like, this is a ZZ Top song, like, no matter what anyone tells me. And like, I compare them side by side, they literally sound the same. Do they also look uh, and smell the same? No, they, I mean, I wouldn't know about the smell, but uh, they definitely don't have as much beard. Because, you know, if it looks like a duck okay. and it smells like a duck, then it's probably... That's probably that's a very good point. Ducks do uh, not smell good. They don't tell you this, but ducks. Oh, they're horrendously stinky because they <laughs> they have oils in their feathers that keep them afloat. <laughs> don't tell Pedro that he loves ducks. I don't mind ducks. They're actually my it was my stepdad's favorite animal was ducks. But Kaylin, what have you been listening to this holiday season? All right. Well, <clears throat> Because I'm kind of getting sick of all the same old shit, I want new, I want exciting, I want fresh, I want stuff that the artists of today are actually considering creatively writing instead of just doing the same songs over again. So I've actually selected songs that were custom made by new artists for Christmas in the past couple of years. So the first one is The Lighthouse Keeper by Sam Smith. And I mean, it's kind of a, a sort of somber song and it's like a little bit of a lullaby. You know, it's the theme is subtle. It's not so in your face. This is Christmas. 
it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it doesn't make you feel like you're just listening to the same old songs. And I think that's that's what's special about it to me is it's kind of a soft little mm. lullaby that gives me that sort of spirit of Christmas without jamming the, the fruitcake down my throat. And then another one is It's Not Christmas Till Somebody Cries by Carly Rae <laughs> Jepsen. <laughs> because, you know, surviving the holidays is tough, man. And, you know, we need to write more songs about surviving the holidays, not just enjoying them. And then Sausage Rolls for Everyone. God, that which fucking is, song. <laughs> which is Lad yeah, Baby brother. and... I mean, there's 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 a couple other people like Ed Sheeran and Elton John are on it. So it's it's a fun little messy, crazy, hectic song. And it makes me feel like I'm in the middle of somebody's hectic, crazy house on Christmas Day, you know, fighting over the food and and singing crazy songs. And some kids are banging on the piano like it's just like a mess, but a good mess and a festive mess. The human world is a mess. <laughs> Quick aside, Ed Sheeran is what happens when you turn a Bed Bath & Beyond into a person. Huh. Sure. Is it? Yeah, just like, I, I feel like every time I listen to his music, I'm just like, I'm at the most inoffensive interior design store that there is. Which which store is that, Anthony? Do you know? Bed Bath & Beyond. That's... You would call Bed Bath & Beyond inoffensive? And an interior design store? Well, for blankets. Anthony, oh my God. Okay. You've just offended my entire career. Okay, I'm sorry. I guess I'll talk about what I've been listening to. Please this do. is a song that I discovered yesterday <laughs> that I didn't even know about, but apparently it's pretty influential. It's Father Christmas by the Kinks. Anyone familiar? I mean, the Kinks are pretty influential, so I get it. Yeah. Well, this was written during a low point in their career where they were kind of floundering in obscurity in the mid-70s, and Ray and Dave were just at each other's throats constantly. But this song is kind of like this upbeat punk song about a kid who never believed in Santa but plays him as a mall Santa where he is then mugged by kids who want his money. It's one of the first punk rock Christmas songs that predated, I think, was it The Damned who came out with a song like two years later? And really the public wasn't ready for it. Like it did not chart. It kind of depicted this cynical view of Christmas. But, you know, it was true for the working class at the time that it was written. This is 77, I think, and the following winter, 78, was the winter of discontent, which was characterized by widespread strikes. And is that also 2020? And, yeah, I mean, 2022, <laughs> but and 2022 and 2023, perhaps. Don't but, talk like that, Anthony. We got to keep positive for next year. We can't have more bad shit happen. I really hope so. But... To get back to the winter of discontent, it was marked by widespread strikes, and it was the coldest winter in the UK in 16 years. And a lot of people found themselves in similar positions to both the protagonist of the song and the muggers. You know, people wanted jobs and security, not Steve Austin action figures like is talked about in the song. And I was surprised to find out that it's been covered in the years since by so many artists. Bad Religion did it, OK Go did it, Pretty Boy Floyd, Bowling for Soup, Smash Mouth, Cheap Trick, Dispatch, Matt Nathanson. I love all those guys, Anthony. Especially Smash Mouth. Are there honestly. any female artists that have redone it? There there are. And I for, like there was one that I wrote down and then I spilled water on my notes. Typical white man. Yeah. Fucking I, white man. I promise I didn't do it on purpose. I swear. Uh, yeah. A likely story. But yeah, check out this song. I like it a lot. And I think it kind of paved the way for a lot more cynical Christmas punk rock songs in the future. I'm thinking specifically of this album that I had in 2003 called A Santa Cause. It's a punk rock Christmas. And it had songs like 
I Won't Be Home for Christmas by Blink-182. That's all about a guy who hates Christmas and wants people to stay out of his home. And then X-Miss, like E-X-M-I-S-S by Newfound Glory. That's about missing his ex on Christmas. And then Oi to the World by No Doubt. I mean... It's it's ska. When you said cause, I was thinking like a like a crow caw, like Santa <laughs> caw. Instead of ho ho ho, it's Instead caw, of ho, caw, it's caw. Caw. <laughs> Santa's <laughs> new call. <laughs> Santa <laughs> cause. <laughs> He's coming down the chimney, going caw. <laughs> he flies. Oh God, he flies run. down the chimney. <laughs> mm. I think Edgar Allan Poe is here for some reason. <laughs> It's a dark Christmas, y'all. <laughs> Quote the Santa, nevermore. <laughs> Quote the Santa. <laughs> anyway, I, you know, I've been talking a little bit about like kind of a cynical Christmas song, and that kind of made me think about the reason that a lot of modern Christmas songs are written, or might, maybe not even modern ones. I tend to kind of think of them as cash grabs because they, they, they're kind of shameless in what they do. Think about like, Billy Mack from Love Actually, where Bill Nye's character and his manager take one of his existing songs and just insert the words Christmas and snow in order to like get a number one hit. Do you think like that seems to be more of like a wider trend in music or is there such a thing as a sincere Christmas song? I think in general, Christmas is a cash grab. Just yes, inherently, you know, the the idea of the season of giving isn't so much important in the grand scheme of things you know throughout the year i think people could be more giving and spread more positivity and cheer but we give the holidays an excuse because it's the last chance it's the last dish ditch effort at the end of the year to to show you've been good all year and that's some bullshit because most people aren't good all year most people are struggling all year and there's a lot of people taking advantage of that and I think that the cynical side of things is kind of right in that sense. You know, we try to to get through the holidays. The working class gets through the holidays. We don't get to enjoy the holidays. And that, I think, is important. And some of these songs that I mentioned, you know, these artists are actually being creative and writing from the heart and writing what this time of year really is like for the average you know, person, the average person that has to deal with all this bullshit. The people that work in the service industry get hit so hard. The people in the retail industry get hit so hard and inundated with busy schedules and long hours and screaming children. Oh, God. <laughs> the horrors that people experience during this time of year and the weather changes and the dry skin and all these things that we have to put up with and we can't even afford it. <laughs> Especially the dry skin. Especially the dry skin. Luperderm is just not cutting it. Eric, what's your take? Uh, I mean, I I agree with most of that. Biggest part for me is I've always hated how like gift giving this time of year is more just like an obligation. Uh, And that's been very, I've hated that. (laughs) Like if you don't have money to get people gifts, then it should be fine not to get them. Um, And some people just like have an enormous guilt uh, built into that. And I mean, I get it. I mean, if you have kids, that might be a different thing. But as far as like people and friends, it's like, fine. Your friends will understand if you don't get them gifts. But as far as even children could, you don't need to set children up with the expectation that every year on December 25th, you wake up in the morning and there's gifts all over your house for you to open and it's, yeah, but the problem with that too is that uh, we also live in a society. So other, they we will, live uh, in a society. Let's just I mean, go be let's just go be bushmen, uh, bush people. 
I mean, I just mostly say that because like then you do that and then they go to school or wherever the next day and everyone else has gotten a bunch of stuff and they're the only ones and then they feel weird about it. Eric, the issue is our society. It is. Yes, absolutely. This is why I'm never having America. Anthony, you do have two beautiful children. (laughs) They just happen to have really, really a lot of hair. They also have really low standards for gifts. Sorry, my cat's feeder went off and they almost broke three things getting there. What did you get that your cats funny. for Christmas, Eric? I just got them more food. They're wow. happy with that. Cats? Oh, cats. Cats are those types of pets that inherently know they own you. You don't own them. Dogs that's, that's true, know yes. that you own them. They don't own you. Except lately, for some reason, my dogs have gotten such a bad attitude. I think it's Christmas time. I think that's what it is. It's got to be. And I keep telling them Santa's not going to come if they bark at me like that, but they just won't listen. What we got to do is get an elf on a shelf. That always looks at them. You know that that elf is going to be a goner, Anthony. Oh, yeah. Those little, yeah, that, those little feet gonna are going like to be lamb, the first. Bro. Oh, yeah. Lamb chop. We do have a spare <laughs> lamb chop that I think I'm going to bring out on Christmas Day just to bring a little Santa magic for the pugs. Pugs do they believe in magic. It. They deserve it. I want to just talk about the holidays. Like, this is... Um, to me, uh, a, a very special time. Um, I grew up uh, not with a large um, immediate family, but I come from a Polish and Italian background. My dad had eight siblings. My mom had four. And just like the uh, the family element was always very present around this time of year. So I want to talk a little bit about our memories of the holidays from when we were kids. Pedro, what what memories like stick out to you from like when you were a kid? Well, so I'm I come from a Mexican family, so also huge extended family, right? Um, so usually, what would and I mean, my immediate family is not exactly small. There is six of us, I think, before any grandkids and everything. With them, I think it's now like eleven of us. Um, but no, was, I mean, our our Christmases were always very, you know, family oriented, obviously. And we're also like my, my family's like really Catholic. So there was midnight mass and same. Yeah. And we would always do Ugh. like, there was always, um, we call them the posadas, which is basically just a reenactment of the nativity. Like you have, um, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, having the baby, people showing up to revere the baby, like the whole thing. It's they got like, a crucifixion up there too. <laughs> we do that at Easter. Yeah. That's, that's like a big thing. They yeah. always got like the seventh graders to like, yeah, you like at Easter, it's like the stations of the cross and you react the whole thing and you talk about it and all that mm. stuff. Yeah. Warped. I just remember like them putting on like the full play of the crucifixion, like at Easter time mass. And yeah. they all, they had like the seventh graders dress in black with turtlenecks and they did like as if the 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 altar was like a black box theater. Yeah. And I just remember a bunch of them yelling, crucify him. Yeah. Like <laughs> you do. It's it's called the passion. Right. Yes. And it's like, called like the- you do. So like in the I mean, this isn't Christmassy at all. This is quite the opposite. But like there's lines for people in like the missalette and you like the crowd has to yell crucify him and all that stuff. But anyway. Yikes. We do. We do a similar Jeez. thing. It's a very um, image heavy religion. <laughs> But anyway, we do a similar thing at Christmas and like, <laughs> it's rated R, my, this religion. Yeah, it's not for the, it's not for the faint of heart, but, um, like my family and like communities we've always lived in always reenact the Christmas nativity. And so we MC all- 17, yeah. Merry Christmas 17. <laughs> so we would not for children. So we would always go to those and then there was usually mass at midnight and then we'd open presents after that. 
Um, and then that was usually with the immediate family. And then we would go to my grandma's house where everyone was meeting the next day. And usually there were, there was all kinds of food. People were drinking, singing, and we'd all open presents like from uh, our aunts and uncles. And yeah. So it was just a lot of family and a lot of driving around. I, I actually have a question, Pedro, because yeah. you said that you, you don't really have a lot of experience with eggnog. Right. Is, is there a traditional like drink? around this time of year in your family? Yeah, well, mm, yes. There's So, like, in Mexican families and stuff, champurado is, like, a big thing. But really, my family, we just drink beer and liquor. Like, like it's not, like, so much like that. But champurado is really good. But, um... Alcohol, what is that? I've alcohol. never heard of that. It's... I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it is. It's, like, a sweet, hot drink. It's almost like... It's almost like hot chocolate, but spicier. I think it's more like cinnamon and stuff like that. Um... I've actually never, I've never asked what's in it, to be honest, but, uh, but I never, but I hardly ever drink it. Um, no, my family likes beer and tequila. <laughs> As any good family does. That's our, that's our thing. Um, yeah, well, that's it, what, that's what he drank. Right? That's, what, <laughs> that's what he capital H drank. <laughs> God was a beer man. Yeah. God was a beer man. Don't let uh, Anheuser-Busch know that they are going to like co-opt that hard. <laughs> I feel like they're the reason you even had it in your head that God was a beer man. <laughs> oh shit. Is this a chicken and an egg scenario? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, um there's a lot of traditions and stuff, but uh yeah, just uh, whatever it was, it was always just a lot of family. Uh, I definitely I want to uh, jump on that just because like I feel italian and polish immigrants like our our family experience because we were both like we're both sides of my family were very very catholic it was Mm -hmm. a a similar experience um midnight mass was huge and i would look forward to midnight mass like i got to stay up late Mm -hmm. it smelled great in the church Mm -hmm. sometimes i was like part of the choir and so i had something to do and then we'd get home around like one in the morning and it's like it's time to open presents yeah it's technically christmas and during the time when i thought that santa claus was real until like I, I believed it way too late like i was like 11 really yeah oh man what is even too late i mean i uh, i'll be it's too late to dream <laughs> <laughs> i'll be honest i never bought it never i know i was never into it wow you're really a, cynical I, child. I, yeah i was i was an yeah. asshole of a child i mean my parents you set traps really for like... the tooth fairy you're just like a total <laughs> shithead just I caught was, your mom i would like stay awake now. and you know i did that i caught my parents putting uh, uh money under my pillow and i was like i fucking knew it <laughs> My mom saw me. Well, also I saw it and I was like, five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> my, I, as a kid, I, I'm, I'm remembering this now. Like I would show my mom, like I've set a trap for the tooth fairy. And like, I put like a laundry basket above my door. So if like it got opened, <laughs> it would just fall on, on whatever's head. Like I'm going to get that tooth fairy tonight. And my mom is probably looking at it like this bitch. Like <laughs> what was the, what was the plan after you actually caught the tooth fairy? Uh, extort, Interrogate it. Yes. Extort her for money. It's like a dog know. chasing a car. <laughs> yeah. What's next? Or Wiley Coyote. What happens what's he, after What's that? he going to do after he catches <laughs> yeah we isn't there like uh some episode or something i want to say like college humor where like the coyote finally catches the roadrunner and just has an existential crisis we were watching it recently we were watching, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like a seth mcfarlane uh cavalcade. cavalcade of cartoon comedy brought to you by burger king <laughs> there's only a people few. forget that there's only a few good ones <laughs> <laughs> that's where they put all of the extra flashbacks that they weren't using yeah that, for, for good reason basically that's, that's what, what we were saying about it yeah yeah. Well, I, let's let's Never reel back. Corporate sponsors. <laughs> it's Christmas time. Corporatization is uh, key. But let's reel it back a little bit. I want to hear about Ryan 
growing up in LA, what was Christmas like here for you? Well, I didn't grow up in LA. I uh, grew up in uh, South Bend, Oregon, where... Uh, oh, you did? I didn't know this. No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we all just totally bought that for a second. This is why I believed like, Santa Claus too late. <laughs> Anthony's not going to set a trap now that he's like mature. He's going to hire a PI to figure out where I actually grew up. Where do these presents come from? Oh, I'm going to need $200 a day plus expenses. The best part was probably pissing my pants after this uh, Middle Eastern rest, this Moroccan restaurant we went to one Christmas. Um, but mostly looking at all the lights and decorations in, <laughs> in, um, there, you know, LA is just so gaudy with decorating and lights that there's just, you drive around, basically, you go two miles per hour. You basically ghost ride the whip, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you don't know, if for listeners who don't know what that is, if you're not uh, Bay Area, that's when you put the car in neutral and let the car sort of roll. And that's what you do in the holidays. You ghost ride the whip down neighborhoods in Tarzana and look at all the lights and gaudy decorations, just a completely grotesque display of waste Hoarder, you know, mentality on full display. Don't they Electricity know overuse. <laughs> <laughs> and you look at it and it's like, where did these come from? Where could they have possibly gotten this like Snoopy, like <laughs> doing some bizarre, like where could they have gotten this? Like speaking of which, this episode is brought to you by Target. <laughs> <laughs> Are we just going to start naming corporate sponsors until one of them sticks? <laughs> we'll just put drops of just saying Expedia <laughs> and no, no, co no context Shrek 4 just whispers of it in yeah. the background yeah. smoke, smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Wendy's breakfast assured blue wash so I uh, yeah that was pretty much what it was just like driving around looking at houses with lights and um, that's a big part of it you know I was driving around Burbank the other day and I there, there's this place like I think it's it's gotta be like um, near North Hollywood way but there's this house that has synchronized lights and their lights outside say like tune in to 99.1 and they've like God. bought up this bandwidth so that you can listen to the music that they're playing to 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 synchronize all these lights. Absolutely wasteful and ridiculous. It's not the worst thing that like probably someone in Burbank has done with an FM license. Though. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, it's very true. <laughs> they couldn't just make a conspiracy theory radio station like a, an honest American. Like a, like a real Burbank resident. Shanna's coming. We're going to get him. <laughs> we've, we've put the laundry basket above the door. <laughs> Anthony, we got a uh, Santa Claus coming in. We got uh, we think there's chemtrails coming out. We're gonna, Listen, we're gonna get to the bottom of this. My friends from the Confederate Reenactment Society <laughs> are gonna catch this motherfucker. Confederate Reenactment yeah. Society. <laughs> oh my god! Anthony scoots closer to his radio. <laughs> Tell me more. I never thought. Leans in. I never thought we'd uh, partner with PETA, but we got them involved with this for the reindeer abuse. We got everyone, all hands on deck. We're bringing this guy down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Burbank. Oh, boy. So that... Folks, <laughs> th this just whole place, it, there's something in the air. There's some weird... Everyone's brains have just com been completely perverted by Disney mindset. The entire area is just completely mm. plagued by people who are... Way Any, too. Anytime I have a problem in Burbank, I blame Disney. If I'm if I'm at a red light for too long, <laughs> yeah. Disney. Disney. Fuck you, mouse. Yeah. This episode brought to you by Disney Plus. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
but Disney that's honestly Prime. true. The <laughs> light, the, the light on Buena, Buena Vista, Vista and Alameda, right, right next to that damn studio, uh-huh. is the longest light in LA. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, so it's very I'm there, true. When it I'm at, when I'm true. heading home at night, if I've been working late, it's like 10 p.m. I'm at that intersection and there's no one. There's no cars for miles, and I'm just at that fucking red light, and I'm like. <laughs> And you're staring at like, for for those of you who don't know, one of the buildings right inside the studio, like they have these uh, pillars of the seven dwarves holding Mm -hmm. up the roof and they're just gazing down on all of the plebes just outside. Anytime I deliver food, I have to take, I take a lot of food to that building. Like, uh... (laughs) L- like some kind of uh, uh, Erzat ziggurat. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, then it's right wow. across from a hospital too, so it's like Disney or die. <laughs> oh shit! It's a pipeline. You get overworked from stress, you go straight to the hospital. They're their best clients. Yeah. That being said, the mouse is my lord and savior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please sponsor us. Yeah. If we you don't need that mouse money, uh, hopefully this is interesting. If you don't live in LA, but if you don't, you've been wanting to come here. I hope we're selling it real hard. You just mm-hmm. you're just screaming at lights. And like cursing Disney constantly. And Ghost riding the here. whip. Ghost riding the whip. This cursing brought to you by the Burbank Travel Commission. Yeah. <laughs> Did any of you guys ever do Disneyland for Christmas? Hell yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was like a thing we did for a few years in a row. And the last time we also did Thanksgiving for um we did Disneyland for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um but it was always just like a really especially like once we had like my sister started having kids, it was just really easy, like everyone just go. And we'll be there and we'll spend time together. No one has to cook and it'll just be fun. And so we would do like two or three days. What's the, uh, the crowding situation like on Thanksgiving? Dude, I didn't think there would be that. Cattle prod people, pro- people with cattle lot. prods. It was movie. so many fucking mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. I haven't done Christmas or Thanksgiving there, but I've done New Year's there twice. Once for the year 2000, which was a great memory. Mm-hmm. And the other one was in like 2008. And I remember us getting like log jammed right by like the rocket ship ride in uh <laughs> in in tomorrowland we're like well we're not going it's like 11 30 but like the crowd is at a standstill yeah. we're like well this is where it's happening guys i don't know why you guys tortured yourselves growing up I, holidays at disneyland i love um, holidays at disneyland yeah, i've never I really done like a holiday it. oh no wait when i was a kid we definitely did do christmas there a few times uh we've done we did uh thanksgiving there once i did uh i went to graduation at disneyland in my freshman year of college, uh, I went to a high school graduation. I this might not brag. be this might not be a good thing to admit on uh, for my career, but uh, go on. So, um, when I was a freshman in college, I had a friend who uh, some friends from high school that had they emailed Disney and said that they were a network of homeschooled students and that they wanted to participate in the graduation night at Disney, and they included me. Without telling me. And then they were like, hey, do you want to come to Disneyland for free on grad night? Or like, you know, way discounted tickets. And so we went and we were there for grad night. We were, we were all, we were all like at least nine months into like college and we were like there for grad night. (laughs) That's kind of brilliant. (laughs) Wait, 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 hold on. You emailed somebody and with Parks. I didn't do this. I did not do this. This was a friend of mine from high school who arranged this whole thing and then let me know that he'd done it basically. And, we got and they in. said yes. They didn't ask for any credentials. They just said, yeah, if go ahead. Did, go ahead. Oh my God. <laughs> Hopefully no wow. one who works for Disney Resorts listens to the podcast. Hopefully that's incredible. Not. Wow. That, um, that's okay. wild. There's like a lot of grad nights, though. It's not just one. I mean, they mm-hmm. have multiple nights with multiple schools it's on popular, each one. It's a popular yeah. event. So they're just like, yeah, you can go to the one with this... Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. Drew, what other memories do you have of the holidays growing up? Um, so like I said, I'm Jewish, so we did Hanukkah. Nice. Um, so, you know, lighting the candles each night, um, that was always, a, a you know, just a, a nice family thing to do together. Me and my, my sister would recite the, the prayer. We'd like that when we got old enough that my dad would actually let us hold the candles. That was actually like a big deal for me and my sister, you know, cause we usually, he would have us say the prayers and he would do it. But I remember maybe when I was about 10 or nine years old, he was like, okay, you're old enough to hold the candle. And this was like actually kind of a, it was a big deal to me. Like I felt mm-hmm. like it was a, a life moment, you know? Um, and also, uh, watching the Rugrats holiday special. I know we, yes. we uh, like, like that was actually really like, like validating to me because everything's uh, on TV. It's all Christmas. Right. Right. But that was, that was the Hanukkah thing. And I, I remember even as an adult, sometimes like when I would be doing like the candles on my own at home. My roommates would be asking me about about Hanukkah. It's like, okay, let's just watch this, and you will have all your questions about Hanukkah will be answered, <laughs> because it does. It explains the story of Hanukkah like in a pretty, pretty good way. I gotta say, like when I was a kid, that was Rugrats was the only reason I knew about Hanukkah mm-hmm. and like um, Passover. Uh, oh yeah, that too. Well, Hanukkah is an interesting like like Jewish holiday to me because it's like a lot of a lot of our holidays come from like the the stories of the Torah. And the historicity of them is is suspect, but like the Hanukkah is a celebration of something that happened. Like it's a celebration of when the Maccabees retook Judea for for the kingdom of Israel from the Greeks. So it actually it kind of has this like I don't know I don't want to get too spicy, but it you can you can (laughs) interpret it in this kind of like kind of anti imperialist liberation struggle sort of way, Mm -hmm. Um, and and death to the Hellenized Jews. And that's oh all goodness. that's all covered in the Rugrats uh, program. <laughs> it's in the bonus extras if you get the DVD. Tommy Pickles goes on this whole rant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to free ourselves. <laughs> um, a Mac baby isn't free until all the Mac babies are free. <laughs> Does he say that? No, it? no, okay. he doesn't say that. They don't well, I was so... trying to. That sounded familiar. No, he says a Mac baby's got to do what gonna... a Mac yeah. baby's got to do. I remember that. That was like a big part of the trailer, like when they were leading up to showing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Jewish households everywhere cheered. I just yeah. <laughs> I, I missed a lot of this especially nickelodeon shows because my mom had a very fast rule surrounding like the type of media that i could consume as a young child oh yeah and you were telling us about this before we started recording yeah mm-hmm. i i was only allowed until i was around like six or seven to watch uh pbs or disney channel that was it because Damn. they didn't have commercials she thought that my young little mind would be ruined by commercialism disney channel didn't have commercials there was there was only ads for their own programming so like their all their ad breaks would be like special features of the shows that they have and like this movie's gonna be playing on the Disney Channel mm. this Friday mm. and like here's a star of this upcoming Disney show about to talk about I'd it. I'd be for a shocked bit. that's still the case. <laughs> I don't no know. Way. There's no way that's still the case. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it was. And at least until I mean, I think I stopped watching Disney Channel around like two thousand two, two thousand three. Like until then, that's all it was. Mm-hmm. And PBS was always like just pledge drive stuff. <laughs> lamb chop and wishbone. Yes, lamb chop, wishbone, <laughs> Sesame Street, oh, the classics. A mm-hmm. little bit of uh, um, murder. She wrote like <laughs> Shiny Time Station. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yes, oh, man. yes. The only like 
good game show from that I remember as a kid. The only good sexual awakening as a kid. (laughs) So elusive. Speaking of which, this episode is brought to you by viewers like you. (laughs) That's actually true. Hey, that's me. You're the only thing that brings the show to life. We can't let the viewer count fall below 30 or Mitch will pull the plug. You know know what? I would love to see a P. I would love someone to write a, a, a hot take or like a think piece on how that viewers like you towards kids, even though they obviously weren't donating made a generation think that consuming media could actually enact change and it maybe had as a negative effect on us we need to start a whole new podcast what do you think of that, Drew? all right drew carve out some time we're going to come back here and we're going to discuss uh the insidious nature of of children's media <laughs> that making <laughs> you think, making you think that consuming enacts change what do you think of that um i don't know if i would necessarily place the blame on pbs for that um, <laughs> i can see how you know they would they would have maybe they, they were existing in that melies and they just sort of uh, passively regurgitated it yeah i mean now we're at this like pretty advanced stage where like you know you have these like like superhero or star wars movies where like it's deliberately politicized it's like you know that I mean, they'll they'll literally pay people to write like negative ads, being like Star Wars is too feminist, and it's like, it's it's it 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 blows my mind. If you want to hear more about this, tune into ninety nine one. The lights outside will be synced to Drew's voice. <laughs> They're paying off the media to write negative reviews. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> we got someone to do Another a sound alike of Trans Siberian Orchestra too. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Trans Siberian Orchestra must love this time of year. Well, the money's gonna start flowing again, guys. <laughs> I can eat again. <laughs> Kids, Mary. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> oh, we long ago. It's Christmas. We're gonna tour again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have a lot of people in the room today. Um, We're going to go around the circle again, and everyone is going to get a chance to speak uninterrupted for about three minutes about one of the albums they consider to be the best to come out of this year. Uh, So a couple of questions I just want you to think about while you do this. So what album did you choose, first of all? What kind of emotions came up for you while you listened to it? And why is it one of the best albums of the year? Being that you're the king of Atwood, Mitch, I think that it would be fair for you to go first. So 2020 has been a really exciting year, uh, all things considered, for music. Uh, I have seen so many incredible releases from all over the world. And in terms of just the music that people are making during this difficult time, I've been really humbled. Um, So I had a really hard time figuring out what I wanted to talk about. Uh, But two albums came to mind. Uh, The first is something that I think everyone anticipated, the 1975's magnum opus of a fourth album, Notes on a Conditional Form. A couple highlights about this record, it has been talked about in almost a folklorean sense for years. It was the big record after which they were going to possibly break up. Uh, They have since said, no, that's not happening. They're having way too much fun making music. Uh, Why would they do that? They're at the height of their career. And this record is kind of proof of that. They are no longer the angsty pop band that they were seven to eight years ago. They have grown in size and stature. And I think this record is their most mature yet. 
a couple things to note about it. It's an 80 minute long album uh, compared to most of what's being released these days. Uh, I just found that very impressive from the start. But I think what I found really impressive about it uh, even further was that it kind of works. If you have 80 minutes to spare, it's exciting from start to finish. It's uh, cinematic. It is angsty. Everything the 1975 makes is angsty. But it's also ethereal and grounded. Uh, their singles were varied, uh, really catchy. Uh, there were songs like If You're Too Shy, Let Me Know and my favorite Me and You Together song, which were just super exciting and amplifying. But then there were a bunch of deep cuts that come from outer space. You would never think it was this pop band making music like this. Uh, there's a song, I think there's something you should know. And uh, one that I really enjoy called Nothing Revealed, Everything Denied. And I just think their album makes you actually think. Uh, it makes you feel. It is for the introspective person in all of us. It offers us a space to really reflect. Uh, and that's also where my second choice comes into play. There is an artist out of Atlanta called Zaya or Zaya. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, but it's Z-A-I-A. -A. And uh, he's been putting out a couple of EPs consistently over the past couple of years. And this is his second on Arista Records. It's called Very Alone. And if there is any two words that kind of capture what 2020 has been like for so many of us, it is very alone. So even if it was unintentional, he recorded most of it in 2019, this set of songs, which is only 25 minutes, so it's really tight, but it is an album. This set of songs kind of spoke to the other side of 2020. It spoke to the... Um, violence, the inner turmoil, the struggles that we're all going through, the struggles that have already been there but are amplified because we find ourselves at home having to change what our everyday activities are. There are a couple songs that I really, really loved. The title track, Very Alone, uh, is a mix of hip-hop and like 80s dance pop, sort of. It's really hard to describe, but it's crazy melodic and he isn't quite singing, he isn't quite rapping, um, and he's really good at it. His uh, lyrics are really incredible, and I'm not going to do him justice, but I'm just going to read the first uh, stanza because I love it that much. Had a plan be the man, wanted friends, wanted in, even then I could never get through. When I made some back of the pack in school, even then feeling like a lone wolf, Try to change, rearrange, do the things that I knew any other time that I wouldn't do. I'll pretend I'm just trying to be cool. Only cool thing to do is be you. I love that line. I love the sentiment in it. I think it's expressive and individualistic and it's humble. And uh, if there's one thing I've really looked for in music this year, it's humility. And for me, his music uh, exemplifies that quality. It's not just for him, it's for everyone. And he is inviting community, he's inviting participation, he's inviting us all into his inner sanctum. And so uh, between Zaya and the 1975, I gotta say it's been a wild year, but we got some really beautiful music out of it. So I hope that didn't go over. <laughs> we went a little long, but you're, you're the king, so we can Mine do whatever short, we want. So yep. that, that'll work out. I mean, all of the roundups. Like I'm not two known. paragraphs max, and then Mitch's section for the roundup is 
You know what? When you, pay for the site, you. when you pay for the site, you get certain privileges. <laughs> no, I'm not arguing against the UD. Atwood Daddy. Mm. <laughs> Drew, I want to leave in a majority of that because it was good. <laughs> Frankie, tell us what you, uh, what you think is some of the best of 2020. Okay, so I'm going to carry on from um, the start of the podcast that I was talking about what I've been listening to this week. So this year I've been listening to a lot of francophone music, particularly Quebecois music. So I thought it was only right to choose something in that area. So my album of the year is Clove Pelgag's Notre Dame de Septeleur. And um, I've chosen her because I feel like her music is pretty representative and it's like easy to listen to like even if you don't understand the lyrics you can still get sucked into the music it's got like a mixture of like whimsicality cinematic parts and then like the melancholy songs as well so yeah lyrically um if you do follow the lyrics it's very poetic and she like references like nature and stuff like that and I also feel like um there's some other artists that are kind of similar that maybe you could check out from listening to that so for like um the kind of cinematic side to it with like the strings and the instrumentation there's like another album by a guy called Louis-Jean Comier, Con la Nuit Tombe and that's kind of like in a similar area I had not heard I'm of that so album. I'm so bad at explaining. I'm sorry. <laughs> Same. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I had not heard that album until I saw it come through on the email, and it mm. absolutely blew me away. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, and also, I guess if you were to compare her to like well-known artists, I guess she's kind of got like some Florence and the Machine vibes to her, mm. with like the dreaminess. But with Florence's music, it's kind of like I love her, but I feel like she's kind of predictable. Like you know what to expect. But with Clay Pelgag songs, is like more variety. It reminded me a lot of um, Melody's Echo Chamber. Mm. Another French artist on Fat Possum, whose 2018 album was like really kind of lush cinematic, but also psychedelic and really surprising. Mm. So yeah, I love that one that you shared. Mm. Thanks. And also another reason why I think it's good for 2020 is because of the mixture of things that I talked about so there's like real escapism with the songs um like there is like a real fantastical element which is kind of what we all need and what we all want but then there's also like the real like sadness and like gloominess to it which is also appropriate amazing yeah uh escapism in 2020 is always a must we've been talking about it for a while uh Adrian take it away So uh, first, I think based on the flow that Mitch had, his Spotify name might be MC Moss. That's my (laughs) suggestion for it. So a potential thing to be looking up. Uh, The album that I wanted to talk about is not necessarily my album of the year, but just one that came as a surprise to me and one that I was very happy to see, which was Tom Truce's Indicate 2. He's my favorite synthwave artist. And 2020, I didn't really listen to much in the synthwave sphere. So hearing a lot of these unreleased tracks and really deep cuts, a lot of it, it just made the end of the year a little brighter. So I kind of missed a lot of the sounds that he would do. And whenever I listen to him, it's, he, has a, he does a good job for me where depending on the mood that I'm in, he can either hype me up or really zen me out, just like the flip of a switch in terms of like what I'm feeling. And his music satisfies both of those type of feelings that I have going on. And it was just nice hearing some of those tracks. Uh, like 
one of my favorites is Chemical Legs. And that track didn't exist anywhere except for an Adult Swim singles, like back in 2012. So it wasn't part of like any of his discography. It was only on that Adult Swim single program. So having it like in an official part now, it's in, you know, discography there. It's official. People can easily listen to it now. It was it was just nice seeing that pop up again and re-listen to it a lot. He just does such a great job. I've seen him live twice. Just such a great performer. All of his melodies, everything he does. And I think what I liked about the album too, just because it goes back so many years, each album has a different feeling with it. And so Indicate 2 just goes through a lot of different styles and soundscapes and just kind of undulates with this hypnotic grace to it, I suppose. We're already getting some great suggestions. I feel like mine's not going to live up to it. What I love about some of these is that I don't know Quebecois music very well at all, and I don't know synthwave music very well at all. So I have so many new genres to explore, let alone albums. And putting your your finger on like what to call a genre too is is something that we've grappled with on the show. I mean, that was like one of our our best things when we were talking to Chaz Cardigan is like describing ourselves w- with with a genre. We have to give credit to Comtrues for having the original Spoonerism name. I feel like there were exactly. a lot of artists around exactly. that time who were doing that, and he, but he was like the original. Um, give him props. And also shout out Adult, Adult Swim Singles Club. I'm going to talk about that as well as it relates to my pick. So there's a lot of good stuff to be found on those compilations. But before we get to that, we have one more editor to talk to. Nicole, what did you bring for us? Okay, so all of you have been bringing out these like obscure albums of like new artists and don't worry, mine is going to be extremely mainstream just because <laughs> I tried, I resisted. I was going to be like, I'm going to be the cool indie editor who brings out like that artist has 50 Spotify followers, but I cannot. Like <laughs> I, I I fought against it and then my Spotify wrapped was literally like four out of my five top songs were Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa was my artist of the year. I've been in love with this woman for three years. I was like, okay, I'll just do it. Future Nostalgia is my album of the year. Um basically because it was the first um feeling of joy that I had ever since lockdown happened because it came out on March 27th and I was like this is what it's like to feel okay again (laughs) wow can you just listen to these songs and um she is incredible I mean I've been a huge fan of hers ever since before the first album but what she's been able to do with her career and the huge step up that future nostalgia was from her self-titled record is incredible um She's become like a pop star, a real like like capital P pop star that you can recognize and everybody knows about. And Future Nostalgia had everything to just bomb, like it was leaked. Um, it's a disco record that was released in a year where nobody can party. She was right after like the Dua Lipa, the self-titled album cycle ended. People were making fun of her online. Everything that could have gone wrong, basically, that's not too heavy, did with her. And then Future Nostalgia came and it's just undeniable. It's such a huge record. It's so powerful. She's so confident and she's so sure of herself. And I love listening to music where women feel very 
comfortable just being themselves and sounding like they want to sound. And I think the fact that it was released in March and people are still talking about it and people are still listening to it. And every three weeks, there's a new single off the record that comes out. And she has a great way to make her albums last year. She did that with her self-titled and she's doing that now. And she never lets us forget that she's amazing. And I'm still in love with the record to this day. And I just could not pick anything else. I agree with that. But also, uh, as everyone knows, thanks to Ryan, I'm a big DaBaby fan. And I love (laughs) her remix of Levitating with DaBaby. Mm -hmm. He knows how to party. Ryan, do you want to tell us what you brought today? Yeah, absolutely. This was a hard choice. God, it would have been great if I picked the new DaBaby album. That would have been a nice transition. (laughs) But alas, I did not. Um, Usually I pick Longmont Potion Castle's release. (laughs) He's a surrealist prank call artist who always releases an album, and I just always pick him no matter what, because I just love what he does, and I love putting that on my list, since it's usually not on anyone's, and it's fun to be obscure in that way. You understand. (laughs) So, but this year, I picked the record There Is No Year by Algiers, released on Matador Records. So, you're hearing that There Is No Year, and you might go, oh great, a pandemic record, right? Well. No, this was released on January 17th. It was released at the beginning of the year. And this album predicted how the year would play out in a really eerie way. I was kind of blown away. And I wouldn't have thought I would have picked that record when I heard it, because I had to revisit it a few times. Like I came back to it in April, came back to it in July, and I was like, my God, this captures exactly how I'm feeling. And I feel like how a lot of people felt this year. It was felt really urgent, necessary, tense. And captured this feeling of aggression and helplessness that I think a lot of people were feeling. There's a little song called Dispossession that just basically says dispossession is coming for you, which I was like, God, how did they, they, they were kind of predicting something politically, I think, that really came true. I'd initially found this band back in 2011 during my blog trolling days of looking for things. And was blown away by them because they were kind of had this gospel punk sound. Talked about talk about post genre, and this has a lot of that too, mixed with post punk, disco, industrial. It's like that uh, SNL Stefan skit. This album has everything. Derek <laughs> Jeter, Tex Mix. No, this. Uh, but this has all my favorite genres mixed in, and it was produced by the guys in Sun O and the band Men. I was just blown away by it. Um, it's incredibly dark. It's not uplifting. So keep that in mind, but it's really heavy, really intense, really well produced. And it ends with this great gospel punk song with the lion. It's coming around. It's opportunity. And that really energized me and hope it'll do the same for those who listen. I also think this is a good time to announce my new initiative with Mitch called Humility Now, where we're (laughs) going to spend all of 2021 driving across the country and blasting Kendrick Lamar's humble on loop to people <laughs> we do not humble. So look out, look out for that. We're going to be using a Prius car to do it. <laughs> That's right. Pedro, tell us what album is the best album of the year to you. Um, for me, it's an album that out of everything that's come out this year, so much great stuff. This album has just been something to really... Uh, that I've really been able to like sink my teeth into and cling to. It's uh, Glass Animals Dreamland 
when I listen to Glass Animals from before, it always feels like I'm floating through some sort of abstract, like rose-colored fantasy or memory. It's it's so like just out in the beyond, sort of like in this, but in like in your subconscious. I don't know what it is, and I love that about their music. But this, it still has a lot of that dreaminess to it, and yet, like lyrically, it sort of like brings you down into like onto the ground. And into the experience itself, which I I thought was like it, it just felt it felt like everything was more tangible in this album, which I thought was interesting. And even with a name like Dreamland, it still felt more real than anything they've made before. And especially like in 2020, when we all kind of have to like sit with ourselves and just be alone, thinking about probably everything because we have so much time. This this definitely felt like an album that that it, this album was good company for that kind of for that kind of thing and um you know he the uh dave explores like all these memories and and feelings from before but he sits and looks at them and really deals with them throughout the entire album and it even start even starts the album with like bringing up all these memories and 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 thoughts and saying this is 2020 and it's time to like look at look at all of them differently and figure out what they really are and what they what they mean to me and what they've made me and i just thought it was like perfect for this year and i love uh i mean so many they're, they're all great tracks and i love that he they spliced in some home video audio i loved that tangerine hot sugar helium domestic bliss just hits you right in the heart that song is so oh you, you have to listen to it if you haven't yet and then i love in tokyo drifting how he sort of gives himself he creates this persona davy wavy and gives himself permission to try something different and like expand a little bit and i love that like i i, I love the idea that he took the time to just be creative and try something new. And there's, there's something so different about this album, but still so glass animals. And, uh, it's for me, it's the perfect album of 2020. Pedro, you can just be honest. You chose this cause this, the track titles are the best drink titles ever. <laughs> Hot sugar, domestic bliss. Melon and the coconut. Mel, yes, there we go. Yeah, look Water out for coming called, out of like, your mouth. Our next, se- our next season is going to be all glass animals titles for the drinks. Wow, isn't oh there one God. called like Space Ghost Coast to Coast? Yes. Oh hell yeah! I want to see that drink. <laughs> Pedro, it's funny what you were talking about. Um, in our interview, um, Dave told me that when he originally started making the songs that were going to go on this album, he didn't know if he was actually making glass animals songs because they were so mm. personal to him he didn't think they would end up being part of the band's repertoire because he felt they right. didn't quite fit into what they've done beforehand um i love how you summed that up um okay it feels good when someone like agrees because you're like okay i'm not insane and i totally this is like this is what it's supposed to be no they're my favorite they are my hands down favorite band um oh, i love they're, the music they're amazing they absolutely yeah. i like uh reviews that write very seriously about them and they say you know when poet and scholar davy wavy wrote the line <laughs> <laughs> all right i think uh i'm i'm gonna end this little segment with my pick for best album of the year and this is one that came to my attention when i interviewed the lead singer of this band lynn gunn uh front woman of paris and their album is called use me and if i was to describe paris for those who don't know it's kind of like glitch, glitchy rock with heavy production. So I want you to picture Nine Inch Nails meets Paramore meets Dua Lipa. So really pop fundamental. Uh, Pedro, <laughs> Pedro's brain out. is going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> 
And this is the first album where Lynn came out and admitted Paris wasn't ever really a band. Paris was me. And I just was kind of hiding behind the, the band aesthetic because she came from like the warp tour scene where that was expected. And like this album came after a couple of years of bad hardship, kind of like a, a metaphor for what we're all experiencing in 2020. She was suffering from vocal problems, extreme stage fright. She was diagnosed with both an autoimmune uh, disease and Crohn's disease and Good was Lord. dealing with like contract negotiations that were going really poorly with her label. And she channeled it all into this record. And it's not just raw emotion where she's just putting it out there. She's like using it as power. So it's this drive to just excise, understand, and to push on stronger than before. And she kind of steps into the spotlight in this record like she's belonged there this whole time. And it has a little bit of ev any, everything. Like the first half of the record is purely like bangers. Like it's really heavy. It's invigorating. But then it kind of like shifts into these reflective and heartrending songs. And I love it because there's a little bit for anything that you're dealing with. Uh, there's songs for pushing through a hard workout. There's songs for soundtracking an industrial rave. There's songs for crying in your bedroom. And there's just catharsis for whatever ails you. And I, it, I think it's the best of the year because of its range and because it slaps so hard. Uh, she wrote about the album, I was always strong in the power seat, but I had to own it externally. I made a decision not to shrink myself again and to truly be seen for the first time in my art. I was finally able to take ownership for the things I've done and continued to do as Paris, and it was a new era for me. And I really love that, and I still listen to this record, and I really recommend it for everyone. So that's, that's my pick for album of the year. That was a great one. For those trying to find the album, it is not P-A, it's P-V. Oh, yes. P-V-R-I-S. The V is pronounced like A, you know, how it usually mm -hmm. is. Because <laughs> why, why not? Do you think what it's meant talking? to be an upside down A, or is it meant to just be like a fun consonant? We were talking that, about how I think how, there like, was a typo, and they left get it. get on the call. <laughs> <laughs> just print it. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.